0: though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature "'should take such a view of things. "'And if on some point you think differently, "'that too God will make clear to you. "'Only let us live up to what we've already attained. "'Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, "'and just as you have us as a model, "'keep your eyes on those who live as we do. "'For as as I have often told you before, "'and now tell you again, even with tears,' will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Let's pray. Father God, it's always a privilege to preach and teach your word. And this is a cooperative effort. Your word is powerful and the Holy Spirit is here to convict and to teach And Lord, as as your vessel today, I pray that I would rightly divide the word of truth. I pray that everyone here would have ears to hear, hearts to receive, and minds to process and put into action what the Holy Spirit would teach us today. We submit to you, Holy Spirit. We ask for your power as your word goes out. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, years ago, when I was a much younger man, I was in the Garland Fire Department. I was a paramedic and a firefighter. And one time on the ambulance, this partner of mine was telling me a story about a a family that he knew. They had this little boy that they, when he was born, he received a baby blanket. And that thing soon became a part of his everyday life. He was inseparable with that blanket. And my friend said that the parents got to the point where they were almost embarrassed how this kid was carrying this ragged blanket around. The older he got, probably older than he should have been carrying the blanket. So what they decided to do was something I think was pretty ingenious. Every time his mom would take that old nasty and gnarled blanket and wash it, she would then take a pair of scissors and cut a little bit off the blanket. And so this child would just gradually get used to this blanket being smaller. And my friend said that eventually the child would be out playing, and he would stop and reach into his pocket. And he'd pull out this little fold of blanket, and he would unfold it and begin to rub it on his cheek. He needed that security that that blanket provided for him. Now, that's endearing when you think about a little kid that's so attached to something like that that they would want to carry it around with them even when it's that small. If I were to invite that child 30 years later to lunch with me, and we went out to lunch, and we're sitting in the middle of a conversation, and all of a sudden, this this man pulls out this little piece of blanket and unfolds it and begins to rub it on his cheek... That's not so endearing. There's something wrong with that. And I hope you see the point of that story is this, that when you and I are first believers, we carry around our immaturity and we're supposed to. It's a part of being young in Christ. But if you've been a believer for a while and you're still carrying around your spiritual immaturity, it's unbecoming. There's something wrong there. And I hope that today as we talk about becoming Christ's disciples together, that you'll evaluate your own life. Are you that believer who's been a believer 15 years and is still walking in immaturity? What's holding you back? What in this process has been broken that needs to be put in action again so that you put away that little blanket of your immaturity, and you begin to embrace maturity in Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at this passage, I think it's important to set it up because Paul goes through Philippians, and he begins to tell the church what his expectations are. Think about this church in Philippi. If you know the story, Paul and Silas go to Philippi, and they find this woman named Lydia, who's a successful businesswoman. And she has this idea about God and a desire to worship God, but she doesn't know who Jesus Christ is. So they go and begin to preach the gospel to her, and Lydia gives her life to Jesus Christ. And then Paul and Silas endure some persecution, they're thrown in prison, they're flogged in the marketplace, and while they're sitting there in prison, worshiping God and praising him, God sends an earthquake and the prisoners are released. And the, prisoners, uh, the guard of the prisoners comes up and he says, falls on his knees, afraid for his life. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas shared the gospel with him and he and his family came to know Christ. And this is the beginnings of the church in Philippi. Well, over time, Paul develops elders in this church, and then he's writing them a letter from a Roman prison. And this is what he tells this young body of believers. He says, I have expectations for you. It's kind of a recurring theme in Philippians. In Philippians 1.6, he says, I have expectations that God will complete his work in your lives. Paul said, I'm confident of this. Even while I'm sitting in a prison, I believe that God is faithful to complete his work in your lives. He also believed and had expectations that they would live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He kept raising the bar for them. He also said in 128, he had expectations that they would hold firmly to the gospel in spite of persecution, in spite of the pull of the world, that they would hold firmly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he also said in 3.16, and we read that earlier, he had an expectation that they would reach Christian maturity. This is consistent with Paul's other books, his other writings to the church, to the church at Colossae. He said, he is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Make no mistake, the Apostle Paul believes that every believer should reach full maturity in Christ. Also to the church of Colossae, he said, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Jesus Christ, is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. And then in Ephesus, a chapter of the Bible that's known to a lot of us, he says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith And in the knowledge of the Son, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So these are Paul's expectations. Let me ask you a question, a very personal question. Are you mature in Christ? Do you feel uncomfortable, even if you think you are mature, actually saying to someone, I am mature in Christ? See, sometimes we feel like that's not a humble stance to take. But Paul says when when you're a child, you think like a child, you understand like a child. But when you become a grown-up, you put away childish things. And it's the same way in our spiritual lives. There is a time and a place for you to be a baby in Christ. And if that's where you're at right now, you're a new believer, you've only been uh, walking with Christ a short time, man, bless you. That's amazing. We're here to help you grow. But friends, I suspect there's some people in this room that as a little child, you gave your life to Christ or as a teenager. And there was a growth spurt that happened there. But let's face it, maybe you've been on autopilot for a lot of years and you haven't fully reached maturity in Christ. I've got good news for you. Paul unpacks for us how we can achieve maturity together. And we're going to see it in this passage. There are things that we need to know as we're becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. There's some foundational truths and maybe some milestones in this journey. And I want to share the first one with you. Paul says that we need to embrace our identity from Christ. Let's look in verse 1 through 3 and verse 9 of Philippians. We need to embrace our identity from Christ. And then look in verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. What is identity? First of all, identity is who you are. Not who you would like to be, not who you want others to think you are, but who you actually are. You have a name. You have a unique personality. You are uniquely created by God. Identity is who we are. But it also means a close affinity with someone or something, a similarity. And so when Paul talks to them about their identity, he's not only talking about who they are in Christ, but he's talking about that affinity with other believers in the body of Christ, Our identity from Christ is the foundation for attaining maturity. Think about Paul's writings to the church. He talks about what our identity was before we came to know Christ, and then he talks about it afterwards. You remember when he says you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That's who you used to be in Christ. But now you are alive in Christ. You were objects of wrath, but now you are objects of mercy. You were enemies of God. I don't know how many of you remember that time in your life when your heart was not set toward God. You were at enmity with him, but now he's called you friends. You were children of the world and of disobedience, and now you are children of the Most High God. Friends, sometimes as believers we keep thinking about who we used to be and we don't embrace that identity from Christ of who we are now. Our identity from Christ cannot be taken away. Many times we we don't lean into that identity, but it's something that is there for us. We are adopted sons and daughters and we have an identity in Christ. And Paul unpacks it a little bit for us here. When you look, he, says, he makes four statements about our identity. And I'm only going to touch on one of them this morning. But he says, we are the circumcision. And then he says that we serve God by his spirit. Then he says that we boast in Christ Jesus and we put no confidence in the flesh. And then he also says that we possess a righteousness from God. When I think about that term circumcision, it's kind of an interesting way for Paul to begin his argument about our identity from Christ. I mean, circumcision is not something that we talk a lot about in church today. But Paul said to this Gentile group of believers who used to worship pagan deities, he said, we are the circumcision. You see, what was happening is some Judaizers some people who had once been following the old Jewish ways, who now said that they believed in Christ, they were coming into this Gentile church and saying, You think you're a believer, but you haven't been circumcised. And so they began to spread doubt, and that identity was being chipped away at. And Paul said, Wait a minute. We are the circumcision. Now, you think about circumcision, it's something that in Genesis 17, We see happening for the first time. God appears to Abram. And he makes a covenant with Abram. And he changes his name to Abraham. And then he says, I want to make a covenant with you. And the way that you show that you're accepting that covenant is you're going to be circumcised. And for all generations, every male in your household will be circumcised. And this will show the covenant that we have together. And so the Judaizers were coming in and saying... Guys, you can't really be saved if you're not circumcised. And Paul says, time out. I want you to know, Gentile believers, and that's most of you and I, that you are the circumcision. So what is Paul talking about? Is he talking about that physical act of circumcision? And the answer is no. He's talking about a spiritual circumcision. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, God makes this clear. He says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Friends, when you and I gave our lives to Jesus Christ, we became a new creation, didn't we? You remember when that happened for you? I was nine years old when I realized my sinfulness and I gave my life to Jesus Christ At that moment in time when by faith we accept Jesus, something happens to our heart. Not only are we made a new creation and given a new identity, our hearts are circumcised. Why are they circumcised? He says right here, so that you may love God with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Friends, part of your identity from Christ is that God has circumcised your heart. Therefore, he's given you the capacity not only to be a new believer in Christ, but to be able to pursue intimacy with Jesus Christ. He's given you the capacity to love him like he wants you to. And so I hope you understand the importance of this, not only to this church in Philippi, but to all believers When we begin to question our identity in Christ, we need to think back to that time when we gave our lives to Jesus Christ and he made us new. The sad part about that is, is some of you have never experienced that circumcision of the heart. There may be some of you that have gone to church all your lives, your parents have taken you to church, and you've played the game, but in your spirit, you know that you've never had your heart circumcised by the love of God. And maybe this is a day when you do that. So that identity from Christ then is the first building block to this discipleship that he calls us to. And what that leads to is pursuing intimacy with Christ. That springs from our identity. Let's look in verse 7 through 11 together of Philippians 3. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss loss I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. The Bible talks about intimacy with Christ. Paul says it's of surpassing worth. Do you remember that that MasterCard commercial where they would give different things that you were purchasing and the price for them? And then they would do something relational where a dad takes his kid to a ball game or something. And what's the statement that they make then? They'll say, This is worth that, this is worth this much, but this is priceless. Friends, I want to tell you something your relationship with Christ is priceless. Do you treat it as such? You know, he talks about intimacy. Paul says, the surpassing worth, the priceless worth of knowing Christ. He talks about being found in Christ. And then he talks about experientially knowing Christ I want to know the power of his resurrection I want to know what it's like to participate in his sufferings I want to imitate his death and resurrection every day as I'm a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to him friends some of you may have grasped your identity in Christ but have you pulled close into intimacy with Christ I'm The thing about a relationship with Christ is if it's not close, it's not his fault. Have you thought about that? If you're not close with God, it's not his fault. What he expects for us to do is grow in such a relationship with him that we want to plumb the depths of what it's like to be intimate with Christ. Christ will be as close to you as you decide to pull into him. You're in Christ. You have a relationship with him, but are you intimate with him? To be intimate with someone means that you talk to them. You listen quietly while they share their heart with yours. You think about them in your waking moments, even when you're not with them. You speak highly of them in public, and if anybody talks badly about them, you defend them. Would that describe your relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you intimate with Jesus? Do you want to be? And and my friends, I will tell you, he will draw as close to you as you are willing to draw into him. And there have been times in my life when I've experienced that intimacy and I couldn't wait to spend time with him and I couldn't wait to, to be in his presence and to be in his word. But there's other times when that relationship is not not very close and you may be in that moment today in your christian walk and i want to tell you today is the day to begin to plumb the depths of intimacy with your savior jesus christ and then when we embrace our identity from christ and we pursue intimacy with christ then we begin to attain maturity in christ attain maturity in christ In 7 and 8, let's look at that together, and then in verse 12 through 16. In 7 and 8, Paul says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And again in 12 through 16, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You see, friends, when we begin to embrace our identity from Christ and then we lean into intimacy with Christ, we begin to attain maturity in Christ. So what does that look like? How do I know if I'm mature in Christ? And I think that's a fair question for every believer to ask. If I'm supposed to be fully mature in Christ, how do I know if I'm actually on that path to maturity? And he shares here's three things. First of all, you've got to know what to treasure. You've got to know what to treasure. What do you treasure? Christ said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So what are you treasuring? And this is about perspective. This is about the lenses through which you view the world. A mature believer does not treasure the things of this world. They treasure a relationship with Jesus Christ. They see worldly possessions as tools and resources to be a blessing, but they don't get their mind on earthly things. Their minds are on heavenly things. So they know what to treasure. It's also about knowing where to focus my life. Where's the focus of your time? How do you focus your life? How do you leverage your life for the kingdom of God? You see, it's never been the intent of the scriptures to lead us into coast mode where we're on autopilot. It's never been that way. It's always been... Growing in our relationship and in our maturity with Christ. So knowing where to focus my life, that's about priorities. And then knowing how to live to please Christ. That's about your purpose. About your purpose. Do you know how to live to please Christ? If so, are you doing it? And friends, this is, this is very practical stuff about the Christian life. You don't get from point A to B, you don't get from being a baby Christian in Christ to a mature believer in Christ without hard work, without discipline, without commitment to this thing we call discipleship. And that attaining maturity in Christ is a fullness that happens in your life and a fruitfulness that happens in your life. So friends, look at your life. Would you consider yourself at this moment in time mature in Jesus Christ. Now I will tell you that you can reach maturity and that intimacy can kind of come and go because maturity is growing up in your faith and you can be patient in trials, you can have your mind set on heavenly things, but you can still lack that maturity in Christ. So it's all of these things working together that leads us on this shared journey of discipleship. And then the last thing I want to share with you is living as models of Christ. And this, to me, is where it really hits that together mode, that sense of a community of disciples. Let's look together in verse 17 through 21. 17 through 21. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Friends, that's the end game. We're on a journey, and it's a shared spiritual journey, but the end game is that Savior, Jesus Christ. The end game is that goal for which Paul says God is calling us heavenward. Friends, we are on a journey as a congregation, and it's up to us to model for each other what a Christian life looks like. So, you may have embraced your identity from Christ, you may be pursuing intimacy with Christ, you may even have attained maturity in Christ, but are you living as a model of Christ? What does that look like? Paul was comfortable telling the church in Corinth, brothers and sisters, Follow my example as I follow Christ. How do you feel saying that? Does that intimidate you? Does it challenge you? Does it make you want to be that model that others will follow? One of the things that we do in Latitude is teaching mentor training. Because I believe that if you're further along this spiritual journey than someone, that makes you an experienced trail guide. You don't have to have your act fully together, but as long as you've been down the trail longer, you can bring others along in their faith. You see, if when a person comes to Cross Point as a new believer, what does their discipleship look like? They go to community groups, they come to service, uh, they may even have somebody that they're in accountability with, but who is helping them grow in a mentoring relationship? Sharing the things that you've learned and helping them come along in their faith. Do you feel comfortable being a model of discipleship? And if you don't, you have to understand that that's Paul's expectation for his church. We are here to help each other become fully mature in Christ. So that means journeying in community, it means becoming a model who others will actually want to follow. It means living on mission and having a heavenly gaze. He said, we don't look at the things of the world. Our gaze, our mind is set on heaven. We eagerly await a savior from there. Is that the journey that you're on right now? If it's not, this is a day to look at your own life and decide how you're helping the people of this body become fully mature in Christ. I know that one of the themes here is that every member is a minister. And whether you serve in the children's ministry, whether you do set up and tear down, your role is to help everyone else in this body become fully mature in Christ. The way you serve, the way you live your life, the way you speak of him who saved you. These are all ways that we begin to build each other up So how do I know when all of these four foundational truths have actually synthesized in my life? When I have embraced my identity from Christ, I've pursued intimacy with Christ, I've attained maturity in Christ, and I've become a model of Christ. How do I know? Well, Paul says here in Philippians that the first way you'll know is that God gives you a discerning mind. You will know right from wrong. You will know when you are following hard after Christ and when you're not. You will know when something is beginning to take your first love from the Lord Jesus Christ. You will know when you're on autopilot and you're not walking in maturity. The Holy Spirit is inside you. That maturity that he's given you allows you to have a discerning mind He said, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Why? So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Friends, you will know when these four things synthesize because God will give you a discerning mind but he will also give you a surrendered life. Paul said, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and die as gain. Friends, that is the journey of discipleship. There comes a time in our life when all of these foundational truths are operating in our life and we actually have that conversation with ourselves. Boy, I would love for Christ to come back today, but if he keeps me around here, that means fruitful labor for me. So I'm kind of in a quandary because I wanna be with Christ, but I want to be here and serving his body. You see, there's actually a tension that you have to manage because to live is Christ and to die is gain. So, a discerning mind, surrendered lives, and then a steadfast faith. Paul said, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. You know, earlier Jonathan prayed for the persecuted church. There may come a time when Crosspoint is persecuted for our faith. Sometimes that seems like an impossibility. At other times, it seems not that far off. So how do we know that we're ready for that? Because we've embraced our identity from Christ. We've pursued intimacy with Christ. We've attained maturity in Christ. And we've become models of Christ. And our faith is steadfast. It withstands trials and tribulations, sickness and death, hardships and persecutions. And then the last way that we know from this passage of Scripture is when we have humble attitudes. We boast in Christ rather than our own accomplishments. We serve God by his spirit rather than through our prideful flesh. We embrace our true identity in Christ and we follow the examples of others who are further along in the journey. Friends, this Christian walk, this discipleship is not a competition. It's a family event. It's making sure that there are no stragglers and no one left behind. It's making sure that there's no one who's puffed up in pride and and living for the world. It's holding each other accountable in this shared journey of discipleship. Paul said if you think differently than what I'm just telling you here, God will make clear to you that what I'm telling you is true. You need to be mature in your faith. So friends, I I hope, maybe I've done some exhorting today, I hope I've also done some encouraging. I'm here as a shepherd to share what God put on my heart for this church body. And I hope if you hear nothing else today, you hear this, that God has called you to a life of discipleship for his glory and for your gladness. It's up to you, church, will you... Walk a life of discipleship together. Will you invest in your own walk and in the walk of others so that we are all fully mature, living in that fullness that he's called us to? Let's pray. Father God, I'm grateful for this opportunity. It's indeed a privilege to share your word here at Cross Point. I thank you for the men and women and the Young adults and students that are here, I thank you for the work that you're doing in each of their lives. I pray, Lord God, that this church would be faithful to the task of true discipleship, where they would embrace their identity from Christ, where they would pursue intimacy with Christ together, where they would attain maturity in Christ and live as models of Christ. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to do that work in and through us for your name's sake. Amen.